Hi everyone, I'm Kiko Ward Carey and this is A Colorful Life. Have you ever wondered about the life of a scientist? What it is exactly that they do in their day to day? Well, here's the inside scoop in this conversation with my friend and scientist, Gonzalo. We met in 2011 at my alma mater, Appalachian State University, go app, and we've been inseparable ever since. So I'm so excited for you to hear him and enjoy. Welcome, Gonzalo. Thank you, Kiko. It's so nice to be here. Thank you very much. So, okay. How long have you been in Barcelona? Because I think the last time I saw you was in Barcelona and you were telling me that you will be moving there soon, but you were living at, in Paris at that time. Uh, well, actually, Kiko, today is uh, the one year anniversary of my arrival in Barcelona. Really? And you're celebrating February it? February 13th, 2021. Yeah, that was uh, the day I arrived here from, from Paris. Wow. So I guess, yes, the last time we, we spoke was uh, a year ago. <laughs> over a year ago. Wow. Apart from some, some text, uh, some message and, and some Merry Christmas and some happy birthday on, on WhatsApp or Messenger or whatever. But mm -hmm. yeah, like conversation like this, it's been a while. No, one year in Barcelona. I know you're you're already from Spain. This is your country. So, does it feel like coming home, even though it's a completely different city, or mm -hmm. it's Paris? Uh, I miss Paris like crazy. Actually, I I I did love my my life there, and uh, and I'm not uh, putting it out of the table to go back. To Paris, it's um, it's a strong possibility, but uh, at the end of my of my PhD in Paris, I felt like I had for the next step of my career, I had to move to somewhere different. And I thought that uh, since I had never actually worked in my in my own country, why not go back there and 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 try see how how it went, how how I liked it. And Barcelona is uh, is a hotspot of uh, scientific research in Spain. You know, scientific research in Spain is not the uh, it's not the best, it's not the worst, but uh, it could significantly improve um, comparing to its uh, European neighbors like Germany, France, or or the UK. Uh, but Barcelona and and Madrid, for instance, are are really like hotspots for for scientific research, and. Um, I, I don't think I feel here more at home than I would actually. It, it might sound weird that, that I felt in, in Paris. I, in Paris, I felt really, um, really, really at home. And um, and I don't know if you're aware um, of this, but uh, in Barcelona is the capital of Catalonia. And mm -hmm. Catalonia is a, is a region within Spain that has some tension with the rest of the country because of some separatist uh, very important, very present uh, separatist movement in the country. So I have not had uh, any bad experiences with that, but uh, I've had like a couple of ooh, uh, where did that come from experience, you know, because they speak another language, they, even though they also speak Spanish. So um, actually, uh, that's why I don't feel here more at home than I felt in, in Paris, you know. Um, I, I remember when I was in Barcelona, was it two years ago now with you and you were telling me it's going to be, it was 2018. So it's going to be four years, I think. That was such a yeah. special, special reunion. Um, yeah, it was great. That was really nice. How many of us? There were like 20, almost 20 of we us. Were, we were quite, quite, quite the group. Yeah, because we also managed to bring some of the international European friends mm -hmm. that, uh, with whom we 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 met in in the U.S. So, yeah, we were quite a merry group. Mm -hmm. I think we should. And just to clarify, just to clarify, I was we met in Barcelona, but I was not living in Barcelona at the time. I was living in Paris and and flew in just for your <laughs> listeners in case they they get confused <laughs> about that. Yeah, you flew in. We and people we were we represented almost 
every continent nearly <laughs> that and that reunion probably just take a step back for everyone listening Gonzalo and I met at Appalachian State University he was an international student um that was in 20 2012 2011 11 11 11 yeah and you were not my so at App State for the group. Um, students who are domestic or United American students at the university, they would volunteer to have a app peers, what we called them. So like an international buddy, just to help them get used to the culture of the United States and also help them with anything they might need around campus. You were not my app peer. <laughs> you were, who was your... Sadly not, but I, my app here was, uh, or are we both up peers to each other? <laughs> my app here was uh, uh, Kelsey. Kelsey! So I, I also got very lucky there. Yeah, you did. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, so Kelsey was your, your app here. And um, Kelsey's one of my best friends. So then naturally I met Gonzalo and... I don't know, that semester was just so magical because look, we are still friends after all the, these years, nearly almost 10 years ago, coming up, probably, right? 11, 11 <laughs> years ago. Math is not, <laughs> 11 years ago, <laughs> 2022. And we've just stayed in touch throughout this entire time. Oh my gosh. And we have seen each other. Yes, we have. We've seen each other three times. Three times. Three times. And um, yeah. how did you end up going to App? And what brought you? Um, well, it was uh, an exchange program from my university. You know, uh, like uh, the Erasmus program in Europe. Uh, it's very popular. Uh, people from from a given university have a, a partnership with other European universities, and then they send they students apply for a scholarship, they get uh, a little bit of money to study a semester abroad in, in another European university. But in my, in the case of my university, it had the, the Erasmus program, but it also had one that was called Atlanticus, that is not tacky at all. And uh, that would send students to um, Canada, US and Australia. Uh, so I applied for that uh, scholarship and I got it. And, uh, you know, it was funny because I think Appalachian State was like my fourth on the list. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I am so happy I got Appalachian at the end because my first, um, you know, you cannot choose whatever university. You have to go to one of the limited ones with whom your university has a partnership. And of course, uh, we always, we all, wanted to go to Chicago because it was like the only big city. So Chicago was my first choice. Uh, but a friend of mine got it and I can tell you he did not have the half of the fun I had at Upstate. So I'm so glad I got Upstate. I think I just want to pause right there because I think that is the perfect example of how like everything is meant to happen or fate, right? Yes. All of the cards because if you didn't get app state we wouldn't be talking exactly today. exactly and uh that well he, he used to be my friend he's not anymore not because of any particular reason just people stop really you know. goes off, give us the tea. give us the tea what happened oh, nothing <laughs> at all he went uh, he, i went to berlin for my master's he went to madrid and it's not like he was my super dear friend so um and I, I can tell you, he, he didn't keep this much in touch with other yeah. people. With, so, yeah. Well, Never I'm underestimate so uh, a university that's in the middle of the mountains. And... Mm -hmm. I'm just happy that you came to Upstate and we got to be friends. So am I. <laughs> because of that. So at that time, I knew you were studying science, but... We were really young, <laughs> so I didn't. I don't think I processed that I was friends with a genius, someone who was going. <laughs> you keep saying that, and I don't think that's true. I knew that. I just think brilliant, Gonzalo. But wow, like who knew? Like where you would be today? It's incredible. For people listening, if you don't know this yet, 
one day Gonzalo will win the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> we, Peace Prize. <laughs> At least the, the we, medicine one, right? Would be closer to my. Was the medicine? I would have to. Do you know the name? I would have to become a politician or an activist okay. for winning the the Peace Prize. What is our, the medicine one? The Nobel. Yeah, there's not a, a biology one. There's uh, the the medicine. Oh, medicine. So people who actually biologists who actually do uh, biology research and discover whatever virus, whatever protein or whatever thing I think should be renamed. I don't like it being what called the medicine. What should it be? The Nobel uh, Prize in Life Sciences, for instance. So at App, you were studying, bio is that what your degree was in, biology? Yes, uh, uh, well, actually biotechnology. Uh, I can get into the difference. <laughs> yes, please. Just couple, I mean, yeah. uh, we have, in, in my city, we, I could have both done a degree in biology but I went to the one in biotechnology. Biology is a lot of a lot more of um, zoology and botany, whereas I didn't have so much of that. And I was I was having more in bio biotechnology. I was having more of a, a an application of of the knowledge in the biological sciences to um, to help human development or human making wine is already biotechnology. Uh, designing a new drug is biotechnology or um, and all uh, the reason why I went into this career is because it had a much more focused approach on on the lab research which is what I was aiming for yes because you I remember over the years even when I was living in Korea you were always talking about your work in the lab like <laughs> the mice and all of the things that you were doing, which I mean, exactly works with mice if they're working in a lab. But I just remember you always saying, okay, I'm on my lunch break. I got to go back to the lab. And this is <laughs> why in my mind, I've romanticized your entire career because every time I spoke with you, you were always doing something related to science. Like every, every time. Your well, that that is that is my career. My professional life is nothing but science. Uh, sorry, it's all about science. It's only science. So. How? Like, where did that passion come from? I do know because I have met your family before. Isn't your sister in medicine as well? She's a doctor, I believe. Yes, she is. She is. Uh, she's. Uh... Um, did you come from a family that really centered science or? Yeah, what made you interested? Not, not at all. Not at all. Both my parents uh, studied the uh, humanities. They, mm -hmm. So my mom studied English and my dad studied uh, uh, history. So, yep. <laughs> so it just... <laughs> I don't know. It just came... Uh, I don't know. But I remember when, when I was very, very young, I wanted to be an astronomer. Because... I don't know. Uh, um, are really cool. It's just it's just about the unknown, you know, and it's not always about. A, um, it, it's something I still feel today. It's not about um, knowledge to apply to uh, getting the cure of this disease right away. Uh, you know, it's also about uh, getting the foundations of that knowledge, getting to know what. Um, drives the universe well, in the case of physicists or astronomers or in my case what drives life um and uh, i think there's something you just said it, it there's something really romantic about that uh about just uh wanting to uh expand your knowledge for the sake of knowledge that is so poetic, Gonzalo, and it's so beautiful. <laughs> no, really, I mean, it is very romantic. And I think just the way that you described it painted a picture for me of, you know, why you chose science as your, you know, in your career or um, why it's become like, kind of like your, like you have a love affair almost <laughs> with science, it seems like, <laughs> because you want to understand things. 
And to tie it into what I know about you, I think it also speaks to a part of your personality or the character of who you are, Gonzalo, because you are one of the most open-minded, so tangibly caring, kind people that I've ever met in my life. And that has to do something with just the makeup of your mind or who you are, because not everyone is like that, Gonzalo. So to see you bridge that understanding in your work and also in your life is really, really cool to see as your friend. But also, I the more the more I talk to people and meet people around the world or have these conversations on my podcast, I'm finding these commonalities in everyone's like personality and the essence of who they are and how you can see the pattern of that portrayed in different decisions they make in their life, whether like the career that they've chosen or the type of friendships or relationships they have or the things that they're interested in, or some of them are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs and the businesses that they decided to create it's all connected to something mm-hmm. in their core, like something that they value or their world. Mm-hmm. And for you, you hit it right there. You just want to discover the unknown or it's the experience or the journey of possibly, possibly finding the answer that you're kind of mm-hmm. um, addicted to almost, it sounds like. Does that well, I, you know, you, you just uh, kept me describing, you kept describing me as, as this genius who's going to win the Nobel Prize, but you have some sort of emotional or social intelligence that is not, should not be underestimated, that, that all that connection between uh, people's personalities and, and their life choices, uh, uh, sounds like you're going to win the Nobel Prize in and I don't know, social sciences, uh, in uh, psychology. Uh, is there a Nobel Prize in psychology? <laughs> oh, okay. That would be nice. That, this is great, because I think for the first time in our 11 years of friendship, I finally get it. Like, okay, Gonzalo <laughs> is just a romantic, like a poet, just like me. And he just loves science because of, you know, the alluringness of it all. That is really cool. And when we were in Barcelona and I was asking you probably for the 10th time, what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) My mom still asks me, asks me that. So, yeah. So you were telling me how you're trying to study, or maybe you, this was in the past when you're in Paris, like the genetic sequence and trying to understand like instead of trying to find the cure for cancer or the cure for um, diseases, you first need to understand how they come to life, like what is their makeup? And so kind of like tracking, um, I don't even know if this is right, the genome, (laughs) the the, the (laughs) genetic makeup, or let's, let's think about it in recipes, trying to kind of like trying to find the ingredients that go into creating this disease or, um, you know, the ingredients that go into creating life. And you're trying to study Mm -hmm. and trying to like figure out what those correct ingredients are. And then from being able to replicate maybe cancer or another disease, then you can better understand how to cure it after you know how it's actually, you know, how it's actually formulated or how it actually comes to life. Mm-hmm. I I I kind of remember I remember that conversation, uh, and I think I remember where we were standing in Barcelona, uh, and uh, you got it more or less. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, I think I I think no. There's something I I did tell you that to understand how to to be able to cure some diseases that afflict uh, humankind cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, uh, whatever you name it, you have to understand the makeup of the uh, physiological situation. You have to understand how um, the normal life works in order to know that this gene and this protein are uh, 
um, faulty in cancer. Uh, so you, you have to do, it's what I told you before. It's about basic research. It's about knowing the unknown. At the end, that will have a, an implication. You, you need that foundation um, to, to cure diseases, to apply it to, to, human, to human health. You cannot, uh, you know, curing cancer is like the tip of the pyramid and you cannot cure cancer without a basis and knowing, uh, you know, the last century of, uh, of research, knowing uh, how the genome work, uh, how proteins are, are born, how they are, uh, how they function to, and how, and when they don't function, what is happening and why it's giving rise to a certain disease. So. Wow, Dantala, I just <laughs> thought, it's like everything is science. And um, the way that you described, you, you kept going back to, you have to know, you have to understand, or you have to go back and trace um, the roots or the fundamental, yeah. understand now. Exactly. That is with everything in life. We say this yes. history repeats itself, right? So in order to make some type of political or social social change, you have to understand history and the patterns that are repeating itself. But you can't mm -hmm. go in and try to implement change or start a revolution without first understanding, you know, the roots or the seeds that are are continuing to birth throughout history or grow throughout history. It was the same. Exactly. When it comes to a situation that you have in your life, whether you know that is, you know, it's just any anything in life. Like if you're, ha if you're repeating a pattern or you have a habit, right? You can't just try to go in and um, I'm going to stop doing this tomorrow. But this is what the work of therapy is, right? You're trying to uncover what were those childhood traumas or what were those things that that led up to where you are today. Everything mm -hmm. is the same essentially. It doesn't matter if you're yes. a scientist and you're trying to find the cure of cancer or you're just a human living their life or trying to like impact, create some type of change in their community. You still have to understand the, what, com the what comes first, like the roots. What you said. Yeah, exactly. All right, Gontala, I just really, when you're talking about it, you're just making me so excited <laughs> about science. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe I want to change careers and... That might take a long time, right? <laughs> Not, well, a while, yes. <laughs> How many years has it taken you? You're in your postdoc right now. Yes, well, uh, 12 years, I guess. 12 years. I mean, yes, when you're 18, you go to university, getting university, then the master's, then the PhD. And I was, bam, I was 29 all of a sudden. And now I'm 30. What? You were banned? At 29, bam. I said, bam, oh, and now you're- You were banned when you were 29. Oh, okay. Bam, you're 29. But 29 and a PhD, that is quite the accomplishment. And uh, there are some next steps, which we would be to get, which which would be to get a permanent position in in some academic institution. And then the top of uh, the top is having your own research group and being the the boss. But... <laughs> Oh, that sounds uh, way too complicated and not everybody can, can get there. And I don't even know yet if I will want to get there. I guess I, I will want in the next 10 years, max, some kind of permanent position, but uh, um, yeah, who knows? So what is it, just to tell you a little bit, I just want to know a little bit about your day-to-day, -day. like what is the life of someone like you, like a scientist, are you spending most of your time still in the lab? Um, is, mm -hmm. Does it vary each day? Do you have like a specific goal that you have to accomplish? I don't know. Or is it just every day you're experimenting and even if you never find the answer, you're, that's just the purpose of it is just to do experiments every day. Like what, what is it? that you do everything well uh so uh in the day in the day to day it's actually a, a very cool job i think because um uh it uh, well it will always also depend on the supervisor on the on the boss of the lab but um it is since you are not working with the public uh, you don't have to be at an office to meet with clients at nine o'clock 
you basically go whenever you want as long as your supervisor is somehow chill and sees that you are working and that you're getting some results uh he or she is not going to control you and say be here at 9 a.m and stay here until uh, 6 p.m uh i don't know i usually arrive in the lab around 9 30 but some if i wake up a little bit ugh, i maybe i will come 15 minutes later if I wake up particularly energized, maybe I will be there at uh, nine. And if I have to do an experiment that has to start at eight, I will be there at eight, you know? Um, and so yeah, then you get to the lab and, and basic, uh, hopefully if you're not micromanaged by your boss, which uh, happens to some people, has happened to me, but hopefully, uh, thankfully now in my postdoc, it doesn't happen anymore uh, because my boss sort of trusts me. Um, I get there, I do my, I, yes, I have a goal I have, uh, but in order to achieve that goal, which is to understand how the uh, hindbrain is built, in, in my case, how the, during embryonic development, I have to do lots of um, mini goals before I have to develop tools to, to be able to study that. I have to um optimize some protocols so that they work in in my system maybe protocols that i read in in some article uh, that work in mice for instance and now i'm not working in mice anymore by the way i haven't told you this i'm working in in zebrafish which is another another model uh very famous in scientific research a very uh, quite uh, widely used uh, model and i have to optimize those protocols or i have to um, yeah uh, have sub projects or mini projects and you know i just come and and i do what feels like doing at that week uh, and that's something i really like about this career this job is it is it your work a lot of it autonomous and independent or do you work with a team or colleagues on specific projects uh, it is both and it, it will again it will depend on on the on the boss i do have a project that is my own but uh, yes i'm within a team and we are always we are all uh, working in several different projects that all aim at understanding this big question which is how the hindbrain is is built what in embryonic development what is the hindbrain <laughs> okay explain this in layman terms for all of us uh, so you know you you have the, uh, your your brain uh, it has uh, is uh, compartmentalized in different in different parts and the hindbrain is the posterior most the one that is closest to your spinal cord uh, you know you have the brain up here in, in your head and then you have a down a bit further down uh, your head you have the hindbrain which is um uh, a part of the brain that controls very innate um functions of uh, of uh, of vertebrates like uh, heartbeat or um, digestion uh, wakefulness sleep uh, yeah you you name it wow so I have in the past struggled so much with insomnia and um, sometimes indigestion. So what you're looking for is to understand these things and maybe perhaps <laughs> um, this knowledge for, of understanding the hindbrain will help us understand like those different issues that we have. Or is mm -hmm, that, maybe that's not even the purpose. The purpose is just to. Uh, it is not. It, I mean, what, what, mm, I told you before that I am. I'm working on very fundamental research, like really understanding the roots of how the the hindbrain is formed. But if you understand how that is formed, you can understand maybe in disease how it's. Why is it not working? Why? Uh, why this uh, connection between cells between neurons? Why are they faulty and how in the future maybe uh how how to reverse those diseases and how to um assert a, a good connection between neurons uh, but uh, we have to understand how how they are formed in the first place so maybe my research is not gonna 
cure any disease uh, in 10 or 20 years, maybe not even while I'm alive, but maybe in the future, the understanding of how these structures are, are developed will help uh, somebody cure a disease, yeah. Wow. I think scientists are some of the most selfless humans on earth. <laughs> Really, because the work that you're doing, even specifically the work that you're doing to understand um, these different parts of brain or um, in general or body, like you were saying, you might not ever come to those conclusions in your lifetime, but you're putting that knowledge out there in human knowledge and that could help maybe the next generation or the generation after. Wow. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> Tell me, what, what came first, Gonzalo? It, do, did you decide to become a scientist because of that noble reason? Or is it just, was it more out of like your own curiosity and love affair? Yeah, I think, no, I think it was more of a nerdy uh, situation. Yeah. Rather than the altruistic. Uh. <laughs> well, you know, that's, there you go. I think we hit on something right now, right? just follow your passions right those things that your curiosities follow those and when you do follow them that ends up being the most selfless act that you can do when we're all living in our magic or in our purpose and that aspect of it because it will naturally more more than not align to something that will help the greater good and you've done that already by following those curiosities and those interests that you have and look you're going to have an impact on the future generations <laughs> just for following that so Who knows? when it comes to the because before were you always studying hindbrain or no not at all that's uh, that's my postdoc pro uh, oh. um and my postdoc project uh, for my PhD, I, I was also studying embryonic development of the brain, but a very different part, a different part, and a different uh, cell population. You know, in the nervous system, you have neurons. Everybody knows that, but you also have all these kinds of cells that are called glial cells, uh, which are everything that is not neurons. Uh, in the nervous system, which assist the neurons in, in their functions. You cannot have a, a, a central nervous system uh, just built of neurons. You, you need some helper cells. Some. So for my PhD, I was studying the, the birth and, and uh, formation of, uh, of one of these particular populations. Wow. And if I may, uh, and in particular, I was studying uh, this um, Populate uh, the birth of this population that is called adult neural stem cells, which could be uh, um, a possible therapy for uh, Alzheimer's of or neurodegenerative diseases. I, I was studying how they are, how they came to be uh, when when we were uh, an embryo in our mom's uh, belly, and and these are the cells that we might have to reactivate during old age in case we're getting. Uh, in case we're losing neurons due to Parkinson's or, or Alzheimer's or whatever neurodegenerative disease. So it was a case of really basic fundamental research, but which is e easily justifiable to maybe in the near future develop some, some strategies to ca tackle these diseases. I remember that. I remember when you were studying... Um, <laughs> that's why I kept saying the Nobel Peace Prize I think because you were <laughs> you're Alzheimer's <laughs> still is incorrect Nobel Peace Prize so did you how does it happen do you choose like what you're going to to study or like how is that selected how do you make that transition in your career from researching you know Alzheimer's those what did you call them adult something cells. stem cells Neural stem cells. Neural stem cells. Yeah. Neural stem cells, and then now the hind brain. Like, how? Do, walk me through. Like, how does that switch happen? Um. Okay. Uh, well. Uh, so we're talking from my PhD to my postdoc. Uh, well, I guess I want to change. I did not want to stay stay in the same lab. Uh, 
also because it's uh, frowned upon uh, you if you later want a uh, grant or a or a permanent position the fact that you stayed in the same lab uh, for 20 years is not good for your cv um and i there was also a, a, i moved to barcelona to try out spain as uh, my home country as uh, to work in and this uh, lab that i chose uh, had um, had been working on on some techniques that i actually had uh, had worked in during my phd which is uh, um, cell lineage uh, tracing which is basically how a cell divides and following their daughters and how their daughters divide and, and following their granddaughters and then their great 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 granddaughters and how they form a neuronal network and there's this lab here that does that uh, and uh, I, that's why I, I, I chose that lab because there are not a zillion options you know it's not like every lab in the world is going to do that so uh yeah there was a similarity in the techniques and in the questions but uh i just changed the system i went from one part of the brain to the hindbrain and uh, one type of uh, cells what i called before glial cells during my phd to now neurons now i'm i'm, I'm working on the birth of neurons or, which are more popular let's say <laughs> people know what what they are rather than glial cells Cool. So, were are you going to stay and focus on the hindbrain for? Do you have like a a time frame of how long the project lasts, and then you have to move on to something else? Uh huh. Yes. Uh, well, the it's usually hard to um, to predict how long a project is going to go because in biology everything is so slow and getting uh, the aim basically when you're doing academic research is to get scientific publications mm -hmm. um and a publication less than three years is uh, is not easy um so i got um i got a european scholarship to fund me for two years so that was uh, great uh, and then I will, when these two years are over, I will try to to get another one. Or, well, my boss will be able to pay me for for maybe one, two more years, but uh, not as much as I'm I'm being paid now. Um, and um, yes, uh, I think I'm forgetting something about what you said, but uh, no, I was just asking, like is there a time frame on how long you have to work on this project and then um will yeah. you move on to something else or find another job or another yeah and after that after that you will either try to get a permanent position for which which is very competitive and it's very hard to get in in public uh, research or get another postdoc in another lab and you know postdoc after postdoc until you get uh, your um your permanent position. This is so interesting. I had no idea of how the world of, you know, academia in this or long a career academic as your as mm -hmm. your right. Would you consider mm -hmm. yourself an, an academic? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, about this, there's uh, there's just something uh, well funny or not so funny maybe. And the fact is that um, public uh, research is not uh, super well funded or it doesn't have as, as much money as, as the private uh, companies, like a pharmaceutical company, for obvious reasons, because there you, you get a benefit right away, whether, whereas in public research, uh, it's more about this uh, knowing the unknown, which is not as sexy for investors. It's sexy for, for, for us, but not for, for the people who are giving the money, even if it's if it's private investors or, or the government. And well, you have uh, countries like the United States who are swimming in money for, for research. That's uh, probably one of the things that makes your country so wealthy. But uh, in, in Spain, for instance, there's not as much money and you have to fight for, if, you, if your boss isn't very well known or doesn't have a lot of funding, you have to have fight for getting a scholarship or getting whatever, then try to get a permanent position. And if not, emigrate mm. or change lab in, in the same country. But, uh, and then there you go. That's where that whole idea of, of brain drain. Have you heard of that term before? 
Yes, yes. In in Spain, we have a serious case of that. It's uh, I wouldn't say it's dramatic, but it's uh, yeah. yeah. Since Spain is not as well funded as uh, Germany or the Netherlands or the UK, there are so many scientists that choose to to go to those countries. Mm. Wow! I did. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And at one point you, I think we were talking about you potentially applying for uh, opportunities in the US. Was that a couple of years? You were thinking about perhaps maybe I'll do my postdoc in the United States. You know, the thing is that the generation of my bosses, like the one I had in Paris and the one I have now, uh, these are all uh, people who studied in the US for the postdoc. Uh, because uh, 20 years ago, I think the gap between Europe and, and the US was even greater than, than it's today. And if you didn't go to the US to a, a lab with a reputation, uh, with good money that allowed you to publish well, then it, it was hard to come back to Europe and, and get a position. Now we have very good science and, and you can definitely be successful in, in, uh, without going to the US. But uh, who knows? I'll tell you after this first pose. Okay. Yes, we'll have, you'll have to come back and we'll talk about that again. Stay tuned. <laughs> so I'm just, I feel like it's taken 12 years, but I finally understand what it is that you do. So I'm going to stop asking you, Gonzalo, every time we reunite and we're just, you know, catching up and I'm like, so Gonzalo, please explain again. What is it? You can, you can do that. I, like I told before, my mom still does. So. I just remember you're staying at your house was, it was just so nice. And Gonzalo, like you, all of you, all of you magic, all of um, you lovely people, even Yasmin, who I've stayed and you've welcomed me into your families. You are the best host and tour guides ever. The record <laughs> that you all set is incredible, especially the history that you know about your city and your country. It just makes me think, wow, if Americans knew this much about their cities or, or their country, then maybe we would um, treat it better or care more about it. But um, when I was staying with you, I remember my obsession with the the bread, the toast, and olive oil and a tomato. And tomato, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. And I do. You asked me, I think it was because you eat dinner at 10 p.m., you asked what did I want my last meal to be in Sevilla? And I said, I want the toast and the olive oil and the tomato with the chocolate milk. I remember the chocolate <laughs> I do, I do remember that. <laughs> what is chocolate milk called? Um, probably it was Colacao, which yeah. is a pretty, oh, pretty famous brand here, yes. <laughs> so good, but you... That looks more like a breakfast, but uh, sure, why not for dinner? You said that to I mean, me at that moment too. You said, Kiko, that's breakfast. So you were laughing. And then we watched, do you remember what movie we watched? We watched West Side Story. Wow, yeah, we watched West Side Story. And you taught me all about the, um, the gangster slang, the daddy-o and the... <laughs> <laughs> daddy-o, yeah. Oh my God. Exactly. That was, that was fun. Yeah, that was fun times. We've talked so much about your work and your your genius, but I would love to know a little bit more about you, Gonzalo, like outside of work, because you're not only science. And you're not. That's not all you you focus on. Mm -hmm. Just maybe, yeah, maybe it's, that's like eighty percent me. Eighty <laughs> percent. You travel. You speak. How many languages do you speak, Gonzalo? Well, uh, Spanish, yeah. English, and French. German? You lived in Germany for some French, time. French, French, French. No, no, but not German. German, I got to the, uh, I, when I got to Germany, I was uh, at level minus one and uh, I got out of there with level 0 0.5. So, uh, and since I haven't really kept a connection with Germany, the very little German I learned, I lost. I, so. I remember at Matrix's wedding, you were speaking to his grandma, mom, in, mom, mom, in, to his mom in, in German. Yes, <laughs> I don't know why, because 
uh, all this time, every time I went to Poland, we would speak in English and, and she spoke very, very good English. But um, his parents have moved to Germany now. They lived in Germany. And I guess uh, she just felt comfortable. She feels more comfortable speaking German than English. And she somehow remembered that uh, four years before Magic's wedding, I had lived in Berlin. And, oh, well, that was not easy. Huh? But not, do not think we were having a deep conversation in German because I, I am not able. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so impressed. Me and Kelsey were like, wow, like, what can't Gonzalo do? He can speak German, <laughs> do everything. Yeah, that was No, amazing. no. No, no, I was, I was, I studied French in high school and now it's, it's the language is spoken by, so, but not German. Cool. And then you enjoy green spaces and traveling because you're all, mm -hmm. I feel like, well, before the pandemic, we're going somewhere. You've been to Iran. I remember you oh, yeah, the... telling me about that, which was so cool because you don't really hear about Americans traveling for obvious reasons. <laughs> to Yes. But yes, and for obvious reasons, when I went to Puerto Rico two years after Iran, I had to get a, a tourist visa, which Spaniards are exempt from getting. <laughs> really? Yeah, due to Trump's uh, ban to these countries, I had to get a I had to pay for a visa. So Trump cost me a hundred and fifty dollars. You should get a refund. <laughs> administration you should be able to follow a complaint about that oh my goodness well Gonzalo you have always been such a light in my life and per the name of the podcast a colorful life you know there's so many uh relationships that I have with people who are just so interesting and that are just really spectacular human beings on earth and so I wanted to kind of memorialize um, you all in a way so that I selfishly can also go back and listen to all, all of these conversations <laughs> where I want, but also because your stories are so, um, so interesting and there's a lot that we can learn as individuals from listening to other people's stories because people possess like, whole books, their lives are books, right? So we just only cracked a, a just the beginning of your story, maybe the first few pages or the prologue here, but it is finally, um, it was finally my moment to understand what it is that you do in your work. <laughs> it took that many years to understand it. And so our next conversation can be about um, other things as well. So before we go, this last segment of my podcast is called The Great School of Life. And there are just seven rapid fire questions that I'm going to ask you. Each of the questions you can respond to with either one word or a short phrase or one sentence, but nothing more. Okay. What book has had the biggest impact in changing your perspective? The Silmarillion from Tolkien, but sounds very nerdy, but love it. And yes. <laughs> what one book would you recommend to all of our listeners or to anyone that will have a big impact in their life? Only one book. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. So I read uh, Rowling's A Casual Vacancy, which has nothing to do with the rest of her Harry Potter films and made me realize how much an author can, can reinvent itself. So I think that uh, you have to explore an author's uh, all its different branches because they could really surprise you. What is a belief that you once deeply held, but now you've changed your mind about? Well, I don't know if it's very <laughs> politically correct to say this, but uh, I used to uh, believe in God and I'm not that person anymore. I used to go to church when I was a kid, <laughs> not anymore. What is a piece of wisdom you've gained gained from your travels that you now carry with you day to day? You can never generalize and that good people are everywhere. What is something that you're trying to let go of? You know the imposter effect? Imposter syndrome? or Syndrome, syndrome, not effect, exactly. Imposter syndrome, yes. And uh, I think that's something many people in, in my career have actually, like... 
we don't think we're good enough or that we deserve what we just accomplished. We all have that. I have, I struggle with that big time as well. Okay. Yeah. So, so not just my career. <laughs> I'm elaborating, but it's very comforting to know that someone as brilliant as you, even still, you know, we're all you, 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 you can't imagine. <laughs> yes. One of my favorite books, Wabi Sabi by Beth Kimpton. She says, in literature, haiku moments are when it feels as if time itself is winking at us. We're completely immersed in an experience, unbothered by the past or the future, but fully present in the moment. So what is a haiku moment that you've had recently? Whenever I'm actually, uh, I'm at the beach and and maybe swimming and, and just, uh, Sometimes, you know, you lie with, well, you don't lie, you, you float <laughs> uh, looking up. Or when you're, uh, like I said before, in a park and you're just lying there, it's a beautiful springtime, uh, spring day, and you're looking at the few clouds that passed by. That would be one of those cue, oh, cool. I don't know if I said it correctly. <laughs> Haiku. Yeah, that's Haiku beautiful. moments. I guess it's whenever I'm lying down. <laughs> looking up more it seems like you're you're too busy (laughs) yeah and then the seventh and last question what are you grateful for currently family and uh, my partner and my wonderful friend kiko (laughs) who's interviewing me or having me at her uh, podcast uh, today Oh, Gonzalito, it has (laughs) been so lovely having you me preferido amigo (laughs) <laughs> i love your accent when, when you speak spanish it's so funny oh no it's funny <laughs> but i said it mi preferido mi preferido mi preferido amigo preferido yes and invert the, the, the noun and the adjective mi amigo preferido sounds my, my more. preferred friend right that's correct <laughs> yes Yeah, well, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it or learned something new, make sure to pass it along to someone else in your life. Remember, you don't just live a life, you can create it. Why not make it colorful?